welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're tuning into an episode of the Redefining Society Podcast, hosted by Marco Cipelli. Let's face it, the future is now. We live in a hybrid analog digital society, and we must stop ignoring it or pretending that technology is not affecting us. The line between the physical and virtual worlds has become a figment of our imagination. On it, we are continually performing a dangerous balancing act juggling convenience, privacy, freedom, security, technology, society, culture, and even the future of humanity. There is no better place than here, and no better time than now, to muse on our relationship with technology and how to redefine what society means in this new age. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. And here we are. Hello, everybody. This is Marco Ciappelli on Redefining Society podcast, ITSP Magazine, Podcast Network. Uh, my channel, as if you've been following, we talk about a lot of things because almost everything nowadays revolves around society, technology. I mean, technology is everywhere. And uh, I leave cybersecurity to other experts. I, I like to kind of look into the past the present and the future and sometimes in this conversation we go philosophical and sometimes we we can look at the dystopian scenario the utopian scenario and you know we use our fantasy and our knowledge in this case actually we're, we're going to talk about something related to things that are happening nowadays they're very relevant um in the in the global uh, stage, uh, still related to technology, but very much related to politics, economics, and, and all of that. And for the people watching the video, Bill is here. And for the people listening, still, Bill is here. Uh, how are you doing, Bill, today? Hi, I'm Bill Etchickson, and I'm based okay. in Brussels. Okay. Um, I work with the Center for European Policy Analysis, where I edit, I'm a senior fellow, and I edit the, uh, what we call the bandwidth column, because just as you were describing, we, uh, a Washington-based think tank, or think tanks are beginning to, that are traditionally uh, just talking about geopolitics, defense, and security, uh, are, are waking up to the fact that technology and tech policy uh, is key to uh, geopolitics these days. Who controls semiconductors uh, controls the world in many ways and controls the future. 
So that's what we were here to discuss, I believe. That, that's under and, very 1984, who control the past, control the future. But it, well, wasn't, no, meant we're not going. Be, it wasn't meant to be dystopian. That's, actually, that's my brain. <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, I started my career as a journalist, so I know what you're doing, uh, uh, provoking me, which is good. And then I, I earned my tech chops by seven and a half years at Google. When And I do believe that the rise of the internet has... A, you know, really in, uh, spread democracy or did uh, it democratized access to information. Uh, it really changed the world. When I was starting out as a journalist a long time ago, I had to uh, use a typewriter and use the subway and, and go up to the uh, telegraph office to send my articles, which would then be read two, uh, two days later. Uh, so I, I, I really do... Uh, believe the internet, you know, makes life a lot easier and uh, gives me much more access to information to discuss. And we can also talk about the, uh, you know, the downsides of that uh, free flow of information. You know, I, I'm, go I'm going to invite you already officially to come back and we will have this conversation where we're talking about how media have changed through the time. Like, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I, I, that's actually something that I really enjoy uh, discuss. Uh, but uh, today, actually, we're talking about, you, you mentioned semiconductor. And, and the reason uh, that was suggested to me, I guess, is because there was this article that, that you guys wrote about the Camp David Pact. And it's, uh, it's something that happened not too long ago. August 21st was the article when you, when you publish it. And it's the USA, uh, Japanese, and South Korean leaders, they signed a security agreement, which yeah. has pretty much China in, in focus. And uh, it, there are military repercussions here. There is, uh, I think, uh, patents. I think there is tech, high tech, probably artificial intelligence going in. So uh, for people that maybe have heard the news and they are afraid of, you know, what does it mean, this tech that goes in the hands of the enemy, which I hope it's not something that we need to, uh, to to be afraid of, but certainly there is competition and certainly there are consequences. So wh what's the big picture here? So I think the big picture is um, th this, I mean, breakthrough meeting in, at, at Camp David, bringing together uh, our big allies in Asia, South Korea, and Japan, uh, was supposed to be a lot about defense, you know, missiles and rockets and uh, airplanes, jet planes fighting over the Taiwan Straits and so forth. Uh, um, and it was about security, but the subtext, and that's what we were writing about, uh, was that there was a lot of uh, technology uh, component to this. And I think uh, semiconductors are a good illustration. Uh, the United States and its allies want to stay ahead of, uh, of, of China. They, they don't want to be um, dependent on China for uh, advanced technologies. And to do that, to achieve that goal, Camp David was talking about how we need to work with the Japanese and the South Koreans and our allies here in Europe to prevent China from surpassing us and, and, and threatening us with their ability to, to uh, wield technology, but also that we're not held back because they, they're able to control critical minerals or, or able to uh, uh, dominate production of, of the most sensitive technologies. So there was an element of this Camp David Accord uh, that was uh, crucial about military matters, 
but also about working together to de-risk is the word we're using these days from China. So I like to ask myself, what would the audience ask, right? So um, I'm assuming at this point that a lot of people may be thinking, wait a minute, isn't most of the technology that we get <laughs> in the US, in Europe, and in other parts of the world actually made in China? I mean, if you think a big company uh, that, that are American or European, they, they do have manufactured there. So you know, number one, um, even the short of microchip during the pandemic where you couldn't find the car, you know, the connection is there. The market is global. And as far as I, I know, I think uh, South Korea works a lot with China, and that's, I guess, why it was a very important um, uh, meeting and the, the the pact, this one here. Yes. So just to put things into perspective and maybe look a little bit back, how how did we get here where, where China, I feel like we've been kind of the Western country and the advanced country that kind of empower China to have this kind of technology. And Yeah, I mean, to be sure, we've uh, integrated into a, global economy where China has had a remarkable rise in the last couple decades. Um, so I think, you know, uh, starting with Trump and uh, the changes in China, I think it's on both sides. The tone really hardened uh, and the fears on each side uh, were strengthened. Um, the initial idea, I think, of the Biden administration, as expressed, was to decouple almost from China. But that's unrealistic. I mean, the allies, uh, Japan, South Korea, Europe, and even the United States were too tied. So this idea of decoupling, I mean, when it was first announced uh, under the, the Biden administration uh, that security trumped economic uh, in all cases, I, I think they've walked that back a little bit. We have agreed on the term de-risking, uh, making ourselves less um, uh, reliant on China and uh, uh, making sure that China can't um, use its economic power to uh, cause security threats. I think that's a general agreement it's a term that was invented here in Europe uh, by the European Commission president, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, and then adopted by the Americans. And now at Camp David, I think, really adopted by the South Koreans and, and, and Japanese. So the question is, is how do we fill that in? How do we achieve that goal? And that's what they, we still have to see how it works. Uh, um, and it's going to be tough. It's kind of like you declare the intention. Now we figure out how to get... <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, but there are some some uh, uh, you know uh, elements that we can already uh, see and that are visible. Um, we can see that the United States has put export controls on the most advanced uh, semiconductor technology. Uh, so the most advanced NVIDIA chips, for mm -hmm. example, that are doing the generative AI applications. Um, those aren't going to be able to be exported to China. Um, we also see that the United States to have be this make this effective this type of 
export controls. It needs its allies because here in Europe, you know, are the most advanced imaging uh, technologies and the most advanced etching material uh, uh, machines are made just a couple miles from where I'm sitting in in the Netherlands, and that's. Uh, uh, you know, so we needed the, the export controls to include the Netherlands ASML company that makes those uh, hard to duplicate machines. And, and the Dutch have agreed to, to follow the American lead. In, Europe, in Asia, again, the discussion in Camp David, we needed the, the South Koreans to avoid producing or replacing the NVIDIA chips or the, 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 the most advanced technology. And the South Koreans have agreed Samsung and Hynix are, are not going to uh, not going to withdraw from China. They're still going to, uh, to, to sell to China. NVIDIA will too, but just not its most advanced materials. And the Japanese, who have uh, a lot of the important uh, also imaging technologies and chemicals that are needed in South Korea, are definitely going to are on board to limit the sales of that uh, most advanced technology to China. Right now, now historically, I think this is important. If I if I remember, uh, you know, from from my study and, and uh, reading some news, I mean, uh, South Korea and Japan, even if they're you know neighborhood, they don't have like such a friendly history. I mean, we we can go back into actual invasion <laughs> back in the days, but you know, yeah. we, we need to look at the present. We need to look at the future. So this is also, from a political perspective, a, a big a big event. Yeah, giant. I was just I, in the spring. I visited both South Korea and Japan, and it's certainly raw. Uh, Japan occupied South Korea. Uh, the issue of uh, forced prostitution, comfort women, uh, and uh, Japan's unwillingness to uh, give what the Koreans consider an acceptable apology. But I was in Seoul the day that uh, the Japanese Prime Minister uh, Fushida. Uh, Kishida visited and I saw his uh, his motorcade roll by and things are changing there too. I think on both sides uh, there is movement. Uh, China is scaring the daylights out of them and they're they're together and they they want the Americans uh, mm -hmm. to be in a closer embrace. This is a major. So uh, you know, talking defense security, Camp David represents a major strategic win for America. It's just that part of that strategic win uh, win has to also include tech policy. Yeah, and then I I wanted to go there, not just you know to to go to talk about other things, but to to kind of show that you can't really detach technology, and this is kind of like at the core of all my conversation from everything else, right? I mean, it, it's it's everything. It's synergic. Everything depends if something happened here, happens there. It's cultural things that sometimes affect political and, and economic decision. And, you know, it's not oftentimes people that talk tech, they like to think, well, tech is tech. Tech, you know, it, it's a side it and it, it isn't. isn't. <laughs> You're right. It isn't just, uh, you know, our, our, pers our computers and our, our mobile phones. It really does... Uh, I think tech is really central now to geopolitics. And that's where SIPA, where I'm working, uh, really has woken up and is, uh, like other think tanks, embracing this idea that tech needs to be considered along the same, at the same level, if not even ahead of uh, uh, whether we're going to sell F-16s 
to uh, or or deploy uh, the Marines somewhere. Uh, cyber warfare. Um, looking in China, I mean, this is you know Elon Musk control of Starlink is is a major uh, geopolitical security uh, uh, challenge for <laughs> opportunity and challenge. I would say for much of the world. So yes, I think um, you know the the military and uh, the policymakers have woken up that tech is is something on the front lines. Absolutely. Now, is there a and I know there is a, a note on this in the article. Like, is there a a potential counterproductive? Uh, yes, I mean, situation that will be developing because of this. I mean, what what could be the downfall of? Well, this? the downfall is is when you start. Uh, uh, I mean, part of the tech policy that we're talking about in alliance is subsidizing production at home. So. Uh, uh, actually, much of the production comes from Taiwan, so under threat and risked, uh, at risk from Chinese uh, invasion uh, and so forth. Uh, so uh, there is a sense that as much of the production of this material has moved to South Korea and Taiwan, uh, the United States and Europe both want to start subsidizing semiconductor production. And we've seen uh, uh, big investments uh, from European governments, particularly the German government, to entice both the uh, uh, chip makers, Intel and Taiwan Semiconductor, to build huge plants outside of Berlin. The United States, with its CHIPS Act, is uh, subsidizing uh, uh, foundries uh, all over the United States. So there is a sense that we are going to subsidize and use protectionism. And sometimes that can backfire because you end up... Uh, sort of uh, getting lazy on government money and 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 not feeling that you need to innovate as as fast as possible. I think we use the example in various articles of uh, uh, you know uh, restrictions that we put on ex or export controls we put on uh, satellites to say uh, 20 years later we looked at it and we'd lost uh, competitivity by protecting our own industry. So that's the boomerang, the potential boomerang. Uh, that could be put if we become very statist in our uh, tech policy. Well, now I'm going to put my idealist hat on, and and I look at, for example, you know, India just landed uh, a rover on the moon. Uh, Russia didn't. Uh, there are things that I always look at, and I actually have the opportunity to talk with many astronauts on my show, and you know, when you have the overview effect. Uh, and and the collaboration that we've seen in the International Space Station that show that when you do things together, the humanity take advantage of it. And when we try to do it alone or in in different groups and compete one another, it's really tough because on one side competition can help, and the other side you would think like, what if we were all be able to think? together and just have the same objective. So big philosophical angle here, but I'd love to, <laughs> to know your opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, and it, but it can be much simpler. You know, NVIDIA no longer can sell its most expensive chips to China. Um, that's a, a big customer that's being taken off the market. In the end, that means NVIDIA will have less money. Nvidia's problem now probably isn't quite that because it can't produce enough to to produce uh, to satisfy right. 
Western customers, but it loses a big customer. Its profits go down. It has less money to put into research. And Boomerang, uh, you, you have a, a company that could have been more successful than it's allowed to be because we're in this tech cold war with China. So, I mean, that's where it becomes uh, a balancing act, right? Uh, the, uh, we're still allowing American, South Korean, Japanese uh, uh, companies to sell chips to China because uh, also, uh, you know, it's a giant market and, you know, Apple, uh, Apple computers are still being uh, assembled in China, so they need to have the chips there. Uh, so this is where uh, the world is no longer black and white and becomes in yeah. grays and where it becomes tricky and a balancing act. So, you know, we all agree we want to de-risk from China, but uh, we don't really know what the full extent of de-risking is or exactly uh, the right balance to be, uh, be, be when de-risking becomes uh, sort of uh, dangerous for ourselves as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So t two questions. One is, and again, you know, the audience may ask that, isn't China advanced enough on technology by learning how to do all these things and they have bright minds over there? I mean, they, it's not... It's not the China of you know Marco Polo. <laughs> so do, do we really say like, look, we're not giving you this anymore, and all of a sudden your progress yeah. stop? Hard to believe. It is. Um, it's a really good question. I I believe um, you know China reacted to the Camp David Accords uh, with uh, sound and fury, anger. Uh, it certainly wasn't uh, wasn't happy. In our research, we have shown in semiconductors, at least, that uh, uh, China still is struggling to reach the same level of uh, success uh, as uh, the latest Western technology and the, 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 uh, the tininess of the, of the components are going in, the wafers going into the chips. Um, they, they certainly have nothing to compare with ASML in the Netherlands of, in, of these laser imaging machines needed to produce chips. Uh, they haven't reached the Taiwanese level of, of uh, sophistication. Um, and we're kind of skeptical that they can, in, at least in the short term. So uh, uh, while China can pour state subsidies and certainly uh, has has. Uh, made incredible advances. Uh, we're kind of optimistic that we can stay ahead uh, of them. Uh, time will only tell if that's a, a naive assumption, but it's, I also think not, um, it's pretty naive to believe the Chinese can just uh, catch up in every area, especially with their economy that's sort of struggling and a system that while impressive, uh, an authoritarian system that doesn't really allow for um, uh, much uh, confidence in the future in some ways or uh, much freedom to, to, to innovate. Now, I don't know if it's a consequence of these or other things, but just a couple of days ago, if not yesterday in the news, there was something that there was an opening in the conversation now with, with China like that that they are willing to you know come at the table and 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 discuss and so 
I, I don't know if that's the reason, but I think that when you're facing yeah, such I mean, alliance, well, you know, you, you need to cal to calm down a little bit, right? Well, the U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo was just in Beijing. Right. Uh, yeah. I think you know the American attitude over the last year has definitely um, softened. Uh, back in a year ago, when the first export controls were, or the first Biden export controls, I think, were announced or reinforced, uh, the the talk really was uh, pretty hardline decoupling uh, security trumps economics. And then we've seen the American officials roll that back uh, over this this past year, and I think uh, have, uh, several have made recent trips to Beijing to mm -hmm. try to get a dialogue going, uh, uh, because uh, we are interdependent uh, and uh, uh, decoupling where Apple makes no none of its computers in China isn't realistic and uh, isn't necessarily good. Uh, if, uh, at the same time, from the Chinese perspective, we see their economy slowing. Uh, uh, their challenges mounting, um, and uh, uh, their aggressiveness in a lot of their foreign policy uh, boomeranging uh, and uh, scaring their neighbors. So uh, I think uh, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be a tricky, as we were discussing, a tricky balancing act. But uh, I, 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 I do think we need to come up with a a transparent definition of what de-risking means, and it means still working together while um, lessening fears on both sides. Yeah. Well, politics is the art of compromise. So eventually, you know, we all yell and and say something and 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 threat, and then we all hope that no, it's not going to come down to you to turning those threats into actions. You know, sometimes yeah. the yelling it's enough, and and I hope that's the case. Uh, one last question, and uh, and then I have another one, but it's nothing to do with this. Uh, it's something okay. I saw in your bio. I'm going to ask you to, to end this conversation, but related to this, the the role of the European Community in this, and and is it kind of like a mediator position, or why is there a pact similar that? that can take place? Or well, I mean, right here, yeah. No, it's a good question, again. Um, you know, the transatlantic alliance has always been central to America's post-war American foreign policy. We have a military alliance, NATO. Uh, uh, we didn't have, a, uh, you know, such a, a, a tripartite pact as in Asia uh, with with South Korea and and Japan, and I think th these conversations are going on with Europe at the same time. I mean, uh, we discussed the AS the ASML and the way the Dutch and the Europeans joined right. export controls. Um, uh, again, commercially China. speaking, is there like are they part of this agreement because the fact that yes. they are already allies from a military perspective that does imply that you need to be also taking these steps from an economic well, I, I think they were directly involved in the Camp David Accords and their relation, uh, the European relationship with uh, 
the Asian allies is, is somewhat different. They don't have the same military presence as, as the United States. Uh, um, on the other hand, uh, the, the Europeans have done a free trade deal with Japan most recently uh, and with South Korea even before that. Uh, so, uh, and I believe these are global discussions. I happened to be in Hiroshima when there was the G7 discussion and the mm. South Korean president came. Um, and uh, at Hiroshima, the, a lot of these same topics came up about de-risking from China, the, the subtext of the of, of, of the, the conference in, in, uh, in Hiroshima was the Chinese threat and how to manage and deal with that uh, threat. Um, so that was a precursor to what, uh, what happened in, in, uh, regionally with the uh, Camp David Accord. But uh, this is, uh, you know, the alliance, uh, the, all the democracies in the world are facing a threat from uh, a rising autocracy. Uh, you know, uh, Russia uh, was is sort of a tech minnow. Uh, wasn't a, isn't an economic threat. Uh, definitely a security threat. And uh, China is both a security and tech threat at a definite level. And that's why I think you know the, we were talking in uh, Camp David, Hiroshima, uh, be it uh, with all the Europeans, Americans, and um, Asian democracies together about how to respond. And that's a, that's a big challenge, uh, I think, geopolitically for the next decade at least, uh, more than Russia, uh, which is a regional actor and uh, a regional danger. Right. And, and then, you know, we, we hear a lot of conversation about risk in that case when we talk about cybersecurity because the hacking groups and the damage that you could do by doing other, other things. But well, Bill, I, I, I really appreciate this conversation. I hope it clarifies a lot of things uh, for our audience and, you know, the great perspective looking at the past, the present, and also, you know, the possibility for the future. Uh, I want to finish this on, on a completely different angle. Like I said that you wrote a book on the history of the Bordeaux wine region. Yes. And uh, and do we do we see a risk of uh, having to stop exporting that as well or Chianti? Well, or... I know that wine has been a constant uh, 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 tension. Uh, whenever the America gets mad, it slaps tariffs on Bordeaux <laughs> wine. Uh, the book actually was I, I I I have written a lot about food and wine uh, as a journalist and. Um, the book really was about American-European relations. Uh, uh, it was about an American uh, uh, wine uh, uh, critic who shook up the, the social standing in Bordeaux, shook up the, uh, allowed uh, guys in the garage to make wine that was as expensive as the old noble rot in their big chateau. Um, so I, I think wine and food is also a good window onto society. And I've always been interested in that. Um, tech is as well now, uh, how we feel about uh, the digital uh, uh, world. And I would uh, say, you know, I'm trying to bring the same sort of colorful writing to tech policy. Check us out at uh, uh, Bandwidth, it's called, at SIPA.org. And um, yes, I will write about uh, wine technology as much as I will about... <laughs> Which, uh, 
Which there is, there is a lot of technology and AI in agriculture and, and wine production as well. So uh, that, that's oh, another yeah. great topic to, to discuss. So, but but, but I wanted to go there. Meal too. I wrote a book about uh, a great French chef who had two Michelin stars and wanted a third. And so, um, you know. And well, maybe, maybe you come on my well, other show, The Audio mm -hmm. Signals, and we talk about uh, the book and the storytelling parts. So see, the, there, this was a great connection. But I want to end up by uh, saying that, you know, we, we have been open and known about SEPA, SEPA's work for, for a time now. And uh, is the Center for European Policy Analysis. And uh, I'm sure we'll have more more guests uh, on the on the show because it's definitely relevant and i and i love the way that you're being very above the parts and very uh, you know looking at things from different perspective and, and again i want to thank you for this really really interesting conversation and uh, i will put the links to the article to your social media if you if you want to and people that listen can find this on the notes get in touch with you the publication and uh, comment, share, subscribe, all of that. So again, Thanks. Bill, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was fun. All right. Thank you very much. Bye, everybody. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Society, hosted by Marco Cipelli. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.